We are in the third week of our series called Better Than the Good Old Days. And it has been a phenomenal journey and a prophetic journey. And today is really the moment that Haggai, as he is compelled by God to speak to the people of God in a very specific way about their future. And that's where we are going to be this morning. And this is a word that we felt as leadership God has given to us in our local church context. And we're going to be looking at some of that today. But then also understanding how our expression of being the temple, the church, the dwelling place of God here fits into the bigger picture of what God is doing around the world. The first week we said this, when we build his house, he builds our lives. It's important. We make our focus the kingdom of God and building his house. Because when we build his house, he will take care of building our lives. And it's true. And you can speak to those who's given their lives to building his house. And that I don't mean just those people who are full-time in ministry. People who are followers of Jesus. Who put their hands to the plow and doesn't look back. But keep working the fields of the kingdom. When we do that, he does take care of our lives. Last week, we spoke about being ready for revival. And we said that all it is, is that all of us can see and, and, and make re revival come to our lives if we just live in obedience, in the fear of the Lord, knowing that His presence is in our midst, that we are empowered by His Spirit, and if we take action. So it was a call to action last week. But this morning, we're going to talk about not being shaken in the shaking. This is our third episode of Haggai. Better than the good old days. <laughs> we should do a little sermon or a, like, a, like a season series, a little blip for this one. Better than the good old days. Episode three. Here we are. <laughs> so I'm excited to share the message today. Not shaken in the shaking. What's happened now is God has spoken and he's asked him some questions. The people haven't quite responded yet. And then it says, and where we were last week, that they feared the Lord, they obeyed His voice, they did all these things. But now some time has passed, as we'll read in a moment, and it seems like they have not fully got the message yet, that it's time to build the house of the Lord. Why do you live in perfect paneled homes? Your house looks amazing, but you're neglecting to build the temple, the collective, the church. And last week I explained beautifully what that means is that we are that temple. So we've got to build into our own personal walk with Jesus, but more so into our corporate walk of being the church of God. I believe that they stopped, and we'll see it in scripture, they stopped building because they were shaken. There's something that shook them a little bit and they neglected to build. And let's read together Haggai chapter 2 verses 1 all the way through to verse 9, to see what happened. In the seventh month, on the first day, uh, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Speak to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people, and ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Be strong, all of you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord 
Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, and my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come. And I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. Almighty, and in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. Lord Jesus, I pray that we would hear what you say and what you declare this morning. May you use me to point to that, and may you, through the working of your Holy Spirit, illuminate in our own lives what you are saying to each one of us to each one of us this morning, and we pray for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Haggai steps back onto the scene, and he says, okay, guys, God has spoken, and you've taken some action, but it seems like some discouragement has set into place. And he says, you've been shaken a bit because you are among some of the fathers and those from before who saw the beauty of the former house, And you started working, and it feels like it's an impossible task. So here, I'm going to step in, and I'm going to remind you again of who God is in your midst. But then, God is going to give you a prophetic declaration of what is to come. And that's why the gift of the prophetic is so beautiful in the house of the Lord. Because it reminds us of where we've been and who God is, but then it points us an encouragement to where He is still to take us. So we've got to listen to the message this morning with a prophetic ear. What is God saying, not just for me today, but what is He saying for the future vision of being the temple of God where He can come and dwell? And the only way we can do that, the only way we can go forward is to stop looking back. The moment we keep looking back, we terminate the progressive work of God in our lives. The moment we start feeling like victims and saying, oh, the house was so beautiful back in the day, the temple, the glory, what Solomon did, the presence of God, it was so bad, and they just keep on crying about that, God can't do anything. So he says, lift your countenance, lift your eyes, people, and dream for what is to come. Have you terminated your walk with the Lord because back in the day, once you heard his voice and it was a good moment or you were part of a church for a moment and you know that he's called you to leadership and he's given you gifts, but you know what? Life kind of happened and it's been tough, so you've just, you've just left it. You kept on looking back. Paul says, no, we don't live like that. This is what we do. We untie ourselves of the things that's behind us and we stretch on to the things which is to come, which is the upward call of glory in Christ Jesus. So the very first thing that Haggai does here is he says to these people, stop looking back. Stop reminiscing how amazing it was. Stop speaking about the good old days when things were happening. Because in God, there's always something better. Do you believe that this morning? Do you actually believe that there's something better for our nation because of God? 
Do you believe that there's something better for your life because of God than what you've been through? And even in your most thriving moments, God can better that. So this morning, we've got to first make that choice. Will we be like these who become despondent because all we do is we look back on the things that were so great one day? Or will we say, God, give us a clean page, a new canvas, a new start to say, we want to hear what you're saying for the future. Because I believe this morning he wants to speak clearly to us about that. What God is doing here, he comes and he reminds them of his already promise, but he announces to him his coming promise. He's saying, let me remind you of a few things. I am in your midst. I made a covenant with you. I want you to work on my house. And we'll go through all of these things in a moment. But then he just didn't didn't do that. He also said, let me tell you what I want to do in the future if you'd let me. Because we have to be in a season where even though it feels like we're shaken, we know what God is calling us to. So this morning, when God has already been speaking to us prophetically, and He's saying to us, army rise, it's a decision for all of us to say, okay, Lord, I'm going to stop looking back out of what I've come to. I'm going to stop complaining that it's only been fending, and I'm picking up my sword, and I'm walking to the promise that you have for me. If you agree with that, say amen. amen. So let's see how God speaks eight times. Eight times. The Scripture says, God says... Or God declared. So this morning, it's not just someone who had a sense of a prophetic word. No, this was God saying and God declaring. And we do well by hearing what God says and what His Word says. Because that's our sword. The Word is the sword of the Spirit. So we're going to look at each of these eight things and what it means to us today. And we will be a people who are not shaken in the times of shaking. And we'll talk about shaking in a moment when we have the Word of God, and we do have it very well in our midst. So the first thing that God says to His people is, be strong. Take courage. Take heart. Let your inner self be emboldened with strength. Become strong on the inside. And He says this not just to the people. First of all, He says, be strong, Zerubbabel, which was the governor. Be strong, Joshua, who is the high priest, and be strong, the people. And isn't that what God does? He's interested in what happens in His kingdom when He speaks to a people. And I want to say this morning prophetically for South Africa. Be strong, whoever our governor is. Be strong, the spiritual leaders of this nation. And be strong, the people, because I believe we are in for better than the good old days in this nation. And even as we stand on the brink of an election tomorrow, we get to choose one or two things. We get to choose a victim mentality of, oh, it was so great back then. Or we get to choose to say, we're going to be strong. Because God works in our midst. He used King Darius, the king of Babylonia, an ungodly, not the people of God king, to lead the people back out of captivity where they can build the house of the Lord. He can do the same today. So can we be strong today? I want Matt to come and pray for our elections tomorrow. He's had it in his heart. Can we take a moment and respond to the word now? Say, so God, we believe that you are saying to us, not just here, but to us as a nation, that we ought to be strong. And you're speaking to our leadership, you're speaking to the spiritual leadership of this nation, and you're speaking to us, your church. Matt, let's pray. 
1 Timothy 2, verse 1 and 2, I exhort therefore first that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And then verse 2 says, for kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. Let us pray. We thank you, Lord, that tomorrow the children of South Africa go and exercise their democratic right in the natural to elect people who will stand in parliament and in roles of leadership in this nation. But Father, in the, in the spiritual, as a spiritual house, we also take not a democratic right, but the God-given right to pray for right leadership in this land. And so Father, we pray for whoever will be elected, whatever color of skin, whatever history or background, we pray, Lord, that they may have heights hearts that are open to hear the voice of God. We pray, Lord, that you may put men and women into these positions who, Lord, will be against corruption, who will be against the pillaging of the resources of the nation. Father, who will care for the widow and the orphan. Father, who will see a better South Africa, who will have hands that will work to build a safe and peaceful land, not only for this generation, but also for the generation to come. Father, we pray, Almighty Father, against any leaders that come with a spirit of division, that would like, Father, for instability, mm. that would like to, to, to just break down all the good things, Lord, that you've been doing here. Mm. But, Father, we pray, Lord, for leaders who will hear from God, yes, Lord. who will be obedient to the yes, things yes. that you demand. And I pray, Lord, even for the house of God to remain as intercessors. Mm. Father, during this election and afterwards, may we continue mm. to pray for those in power yes. so that your glory and your honor yes, may yes. reign in this land. Amen. 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 Thank you. Continue to pray. Go prayerfully as you go tomorrow to play your part. And remind yourself of this, that God says be strong. Take heart. Take courage. Rise up. Rise up with a boldness that God has chosen us to be his people. Secondly, God says work. He said it already, but somehow he's got to say it again. Because this looking back has stopped the people in their work. They were crying that it's, it's so hard, Lord. Can we ever restore the beauty of this house, this temple, to what it was before? And they quickly became disillusioned because of their feelings. Who of you know that it's a good thing that when you feel something, to make sure that it's in line with the Word of God? Because when things go a little bit tough or we feel a little bit shaken and our feelings take over, we end up in discouragement and disillusionment and we stop working. So God steps in and he just quickly reminds them, remember that I asked you to work on my house? Now again, be strong and work. I find it fascinating that when people go through difficult seasons, one of the quick, quickest things that fall out of their lives is church community. When things are a little bit tough, they isolate themselves. They go down this route of looking back or maybe becoming a victim mentality of no one understands and no one knows what I'm feeling. We, when we go through difficult moments, we be strong and we come and we work and we play our part. The best thing you can do when you go through something difficult is to be amongst the people of God and work together on being the house of God for the presence of God. 
So God just reminds them, in case you forgot, come and work. Be strong and work. For I am in your midst, in your midst, says he. So that's the first, third thing that God says. I am in your midst. So remember, he's reminding them of stuff. He's going to speak to them prophetically in a moment. But first, he's just reminding them. He's reminding them that they should be strong, that they should be doing work. And then in case you forgot Israel, and in case you forgot every nation Psalms west, the presence of God is in our midst. I love the gracious, slow to anger, rich in love, steadfast, merciful love of God towards us. That he gently reminds them of what he has just told them a little while back. That I am with you. But then he uses interesting words. He says, for I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt and my spirit remains among you. What is he doing? He's reminding them that he is faithful towards them and he covenanted, which means he made a promise that should not be broken and because his God cannot be broken with them that I took you out of Egypt and I will be in your midst. So be strong and work. And with us today who are the followers of Jesus Christ, he's coming to covenant with us and we walk in that covenant and he's saying, you also have a part to play. I'm staying faithful to my part in the covenant, which is to be in your midst, to help you be strong, to help you work. Will you be faithful in your part of the covenant in serving and following and loving me? So God says, I'm in your midst, not just to say that, but to remind them of the promises and the covenant that he's made with them. And then the fourth thing that he says to them, reminding them of his promises is this, and my spirit remains among you, fear not. This is fascinating. Because they, they've come out of captivity. God is speaking to them. They get stuck in the work. They kind of go through a moment of discouragement and God calls them back. But then he uses, for the first time in this book, the, 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 the word fear. He says, fear not. Because God knows that fear is really the thing that disarms us in that which we have to do. I believe he was saying, don't fear the past captivity, my people. Don't fear that even though you work really hard, that this house might never look as beautiful as it's been before. I believe he's saying, don't fear lack. Remember in chapter 1, God says that your, your bags are filled with holes and the, the stuff on your table which you need to eat has been blown away by me. He says, don't fear lack. Don't fear that you won't have anything. And sometimes our own hearts go there too. As we say yes to the Lord and his work in our lives, we find ourselves often with fear knocking at our hearts. Lord, will I have enough? Lord, this thing that I'm building, is it even worthwhile? Lord, I've been through dark seasons of being in captivity in my own life. Will I go back there? And God has already stepped in and set us free. He's let them out of captivity, but somehow their fear has been holding them back. What fear is holding you back today from building and becoming the place of God with the people of God for the presence of God? Think about that fear for a moment. God says, don't fear that. Don't let that get the better of you and make you disillusioned. So four promise reminders through the prophet Haggai. 
Be strong. Work. I'm with you. And don't fear. If you live those four things alone, you'll live a beautiful, Jesus-centered life. But then the prophet also gives them something towards the future. He's not only reminding them of who God is and who they are as the people of God, he gives them some prophetic direction of what will take place. The first thing that he says is, and what God says is, I will shake. This is what the Lord Almighty says, in a while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land, and I will shake all nations. Now he's just said, don't fear, so let's better not fear the shaking. Because <laughs> when I read the shaking, some hearts, even mine, when reading, it's like, sure, Lord, that's not a lack of sound. Like, you're going to shake. But then Jesus speaks about this in Matthew chapter 24, when he says, you know what? As you walk towards the end times, towards the end of the story, there's going to be some tremors. There's going to be some shakings, rumors of wars, wars, nations against nations, calamities, economies crashing, diseases. Some of it might be rumors. Some of it might be true. There's going to be some tremors. There's going to be some shaking. But we are not shaken in the shaken because he says that in his sovereignty, he allows and sometimes brings to shaking. Because Revelation teaches us that right at the end, remember last week, we were between the two final scenes. The scene of being the church, the temple of God, on our way to the final moment in heaven. It says that one day there will be an earthquake that no Richter scale can measure because God is going to fully and finally not only shake the earth, but the heavens. But because we are the people of God, we don't have to be shaken in the shaking. I don't know what 2020 and 2021 has done to your soul, but to all of us, it has shook us to some way or another. And this morning, I believe God wants to solidify in you that because you are my people, know that shakings come, but I am in your midst. I am in your midst, so be strong. I am in your midst, so do not fear. I don't know what 2022 is bringing, but what I do know is who God is. Some part of me says, I don't care what 2022 is bringing because I know God. And because of Him, I don't have to be shaken because He is in control. And even though as we walk to that final moment, the final shaking of the earth and the heaven, which is prophesied here by Haggai, we've got the words of Jesus saying, Take heart, for I have overcome the world and all its tremors. Hebrews 12, let's read that. This will help us. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. Who's speaking? God. We've already said five things that God is saying. If they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, how much less will we if we turn away from him who warns us from heaven? At that time, his voice shook the earth. When God spoke the old covenant, there was a tremor. There was a shaking. He chose to introduce himself to his people at Sinai with fear and trembling. The whole mountain shook. Can you imagine God speaking in the whole of the Haldeberg does this? That's going to be quite scary. That's a day that I hope I'm not hiking it. <laughs> and he says one more time he's going to shake 
But this is going to be a strong shake. And then let's read what Hebrews tells us. But he has promised, once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. Haggai is implied here. The word once more indicate the removing of that, what can be shaken, that is the created things, so that which cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What do we do in the tremors and the moments of shaking as we walk towards that final moment where God is going to return and there's going to be a final shake? We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken, so what do we do? We worship. What did these people in Haggai do? They stopped building because they were shaken a little bit that this house is looking so bad. When we go through shakings again, through the tremors until the day where that final earthquake, go and read in Revelation, comes, can we worship? It seems like that's the simple solution. But we join the talks about the shaking. We join the narratives of fear. We join the hard conversations that the media is pushing our way. And we're too scared to say, you know what? I am positioned in Christ Jesus to live as Christ and to die as gain and everything else in this world I count as nothing in comparison to the glory of knowing Him. So tremors may come. Calamities may come. Wars may come and rumors of wars may come. And you know, Jesus, you actually said that it has to come. But we are not shaken in the shaken because we are part of a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And all it does, it reveals how much of the kingdom is inside of us. And you might sit here this morning and feel, oh, there's been a whole lot of shaking in my life. And there wasn't a lot of kingdom. That's where the gospel comes to our hearts again and says, that's okay. Come to Jesus. Let him fill you up. Take out your sword. Fight this fight. Be strong. Know that he is in your midst. Know that you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead is inside of you. So even if the shaking causes you to die, the spirit of God is in you. And you are walking towards the final moment where you are going to be fully in his presence as the people of God. You didn't know that you can get that much out of nine verses in the Bible, eh? Or one book with two chapters. So God has said five things already, but he's going to keep speaking. The next thing that God says is, I own it all. I will shake all the nations, and what is desired by all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine, and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. What I believe he is saying, because he said, do not fear, there will be a shaking, but don't fear because you will not lack. And I know people of Judah, you are experiencing lack because that which I entrusted to you, you've only spent on yourself. You haven't spent it on my work. But you know what? If you work, if you start the work again, you will not have lack because I own it all. I heard a preacher say the other day, when God stands up in heaven, millions of dollars of cash falls out of his pockets. I'm like, that's a lovely picture. He says, he owns it all. He literally owns it all. So when there's a shaking in our back pocket or in our economy, 
do we still believe that God owns it all? Do we still believe that the silver and the gold is His? That everything in this created world has been given to Him? Or are we like the people of Judah because we have experienced some lack, started disbelieving that God owns it all? Now, if He owns it all, if it's true, and if He is the one who gives seed, financial seed, to the sower, that is to us, wouldn't it be a good idea to maybe spend some time to Him about how you should budget? When was the last time you looked at your finances and said, God, help me spend this right? Better word, help me apply this correctly. Because you own it. You've just given me a little bit of it. But I want to do right by it because it belongs to you. And we see a beautiful example of this in Second Chronicles where they wanted to build the temple of Solomon. And David, the king, spoke to the people and said, we want to build God this house. And let, let's see how the people and David responded because they brought a whole lot. And then David said, wealth and honor comes from you. You are the ruler of all things. In case you doubted it, there it is again. Wealth comes from God. He owns it all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. So they asked for an offering to build the temple, and they brought a whole lot of stuff, and the people were beautifully generous. And David says, not well done, people. He says, it's just you who's given us these things. Who ever thought that we could give so much of that to you? Lord our God, all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you taste the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willing your people who are here, have given to you. I can spend a whole day just talking about what David is saying in this prayer. But what he's saying at the bottom line is God will provide for the work of his house. That's what he is saying. He has always provided for the work of his house. And let me remind you, because I know some minds might go, okay, here is the pitch. Peter's going to be asking for money in a moment because we've got to build the house. No, what I'm saying is, who is the house? It's the people of God and the place where we live in the presence of God for the purposes of God. And there's always enough cash in heaven for God to make this happen. So if it doesn't happen, what has happened? It's where he is given and people said, we're going to spend it on paneling our homes rather than living in the purposes of God in our lives. And this is where the people of Haggai have found themselves. So I want to ask you again, when was the last time when you said, God, if you own it all and you entrust me with this amount, how should I spend it? Because it belongs to you. You see, we want to be transactional with our finances. We want to say, where's the tithe? Okay, let's get through the month. God doesn't want to live with us in transactional interaction. He wants to live with us in relationship. Where we can actually speak to him about it and say, God, 
I'm a little bit intimidated. I'm fearing. I'm not feeling strong. I'm looking back. I'm looking forward. Just like these people, what are you saying? And he would just come by his spirit and remind you that he owns it all. But instead of just a transactional action, I've done my part. Now I can do with the rest however I feel fit or should be doing. God is saying, can you have conversation with me all along the road? And your finances too. Sometimes we want the church to speak about everything except this. But this is an integral part of our lives every single moment. And because he has given it to us, let us be like the people when they brought for the house of the Lord. Say, Lord, help us steward the money. And maybe for you this week, it is giving to someone in real need with the gospel message of love. Maybe for you this morning, it is starting to give towards the work of the church because it's not just this which you see. It is leaning over to the Eastern Cape where God is raising up an army of churches that we get to plant and support. It's leaning into Zola where we're carrying that work because we believe God has called us beyond just Somerset West. It is leaning into a vision that we are still to see fulfilled because the better days for this house is ahead of us. God owns it all and he said it. To remind us of this. And in Acts chapter 2, we see people live like that. Whatever they had extra, they brought, they sold, they brought the money because they believed that God would actually supply enough for his house. And they entrusted it to leaders, to steward it. Do we still live like that and believe that? Or has this season and the paneling of our homes disarmed our hearts and saying, God, I'm going to even trust you with my budget? The second last thing that God says, and this is the most profound thing, which has been a word that we felt God is saying for this church since the beginning of this year. God says that greater glory is coming. And I've got to talk about this in three levels. I've got to talk about the local church level, which is every nation. I've got to talk about the global church level, but I also have to talk about the eternal level of what we are walking towards. Because this prophetic word is not just a moment in time. It was pointing to Jesus, and Jesus was pointing us to heaven. But in the local context, we believe that every nation, Samson West, are yet to see her best days. And we've said this a few times over the past weeks. They're looking back. There's been some amazing things, but we are walking towards the better than the good old days. And in November, we will walk through vision and some of the vision that God has given us for the future. I believe when you guys hear it, you will see what has been building that going forward, this church is going to enter her most beautiful season to date. Because that's how God works. He walks us from glory to glory. From becoming more beautiful to becoming even more beautiful until the day that we are perfect and ready as a bride for him to come. And this links so beautifully with the global sense that around the world God is working with his church. This shaking that the world has been through has shook his church as well. And it's been clear to see what has fallen away because some things have to fall away. But that which remains standing is that which is part of his kingdom. But then ultimately, when, the Hag when Haggai the prophet said, and when God spoke through him and says, greater glory is coming, he was pointing us to eternal glory, which is a day where we move from the fourth to the final act of stepping into eternity with him. And I want to remind us quickly out of 2 Corinthians chapter 4. When we go through shakings, what do we do? We do not lose heart. 
Though our outwardly we are wasting away, inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our light and momentary troubles, the tremors, the shaking, is achieving for us a far greater glory that outshines it all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, not just on this world, but we fix it on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is seen is eternal. When Haggai said the word of God is that future glory is coming, he was pointing us all the way as well. And there's going to be a day that all the tremors and the shaking of this world will not matter anymore. And that's what I shared last week. You see how you can't just preach a sermon disconnected from the journey? Because last week we stood there and we ended there saying that no, tears will be no more and pain will be no more and we will be with God and that dwelling place of God is with man. So that is what we're walking towards. And the prophetic fulfillment, as I shared last week, is here and not yet. We're walking through some of that and becoming the people of God, but the final moment is coming. And then the last thing that God says to us this morning is peace. And in this place, I will give my peace. Peace has already come. And his name is Jesus. And I believe that's what the prophet Haggai was pointing towards all the time, the new covenant, Jesus coming. Luke chapter 2, verse 11 to 14. For unto us this day in the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord is born. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manner. How apt this morning with all the baby dedications. And as we enter Christmas season. And suddenly there was an angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among whom he is pleased. When Haggai said peace, he was speaking about the stage that we are living in already. That today we can have peace. And even though there is a shaking, we will not fear because we have peace. And even though there is a shaking, we will not fear because he's producing a greater glory. And even though there's a shaking, we will not fear because he owns everything and we will not lack. And even though there's a shaking, we will not fear because he is ultimately in control of all of it. So this morning I want to ask, have you been shaken in the shaking? All of us have. But can you hear what God is saying to you today? going to read all eight of those things again and listen to them intently. God says, be strong. God says, work. God says, I am in your midst. God says, I own it all. God says, greater glory is coming. God says, peace. So Lord Jesus, I pray as you have spoken this morning, that we would be the church that you have led this morning in a beautiful way, where we started singing about being in your awe, 
Lord, where we spoke about you speaking a better word, and then prophetically, Lord, you ministered to us today. And you invited us to take our rightful position. But now, Lord, today, in furtherance of that, we say thank you for your word, for what you say in your word, that you says, say that we don't have to fear even though things shake around us. Lord, we enter this week, Father, with this assurance that God is with us. We enter this week, Lord, with this assurance that you own it all. We enter this week with this assurance that you will give us the strength and embolden our hearts to live in the purposes of God. And I pray this morning, Father, that if we do one thing this week, that we would be a people who say that God says and that we would act upon that. Thank you, Lord, for the power of your word in our midst. Thank you that it is ever giving and never ceasing. That your word always speaks of the promises that you have given and it always points us to the promises yet to be fulfilled. And I pray, Lord, as we have been strengthened here today, may we leave these doors and go back to our lives, not forgetting this message. May we be people, Lord, who say we're going to build your house because then you will take care of ours. We will be people of revival who bring revival to our community. And we will be people who stand steadfast and sure in the days of shaking. And we honor you and we praise you. And the people of God say, Amen. Amen. Just before Matt comes up to conclude this morning for us, next Sunday we're going to conclude Haggai with a guest speaker. We will have Marlon Hartnick ministering here. Many of you don't know him. He serves uh, every nation South, South, Southern Africa as a full-time prophetic minister, and he will be concluding Haggai for us next Sunday. So please come and join us. Don't miss out. And uh, go back, read these words again. Write, write down those eight things that God said today. Live according to them. Thank you, Matt. Over to you.